Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the Brighton Rock podcast. With me, Russell Guyver. I also have with me Peter Marsh and Alistair Jones and Andy Knott. Um, well, it's been the day that I've received delivery of a new film poster, canvas print. And what could it be? None other than Brighton Rock, of course. Fantastic film, great film title. Thankfully, um, we weren't caned by the citizens, although we are left looking in our rear window after another defeat. But we'll be talking through um, some details on that game with our stateside Manchester City supporting guests who's coming in to join us in part two. In the meantime, in part one, we'll be talking about the good, the bad and the ugly of this week's footy news. And joining me, we have Peter Marsh. So welcome, as always, Peter. Hello and welcome back to Manchester-based Albion fan, Alistair Jones. How are you doing, Andy? Hi, Russ. Yeah, doing really well. Thanks very much. Excellent. And my third man, see what I did there, on the scene is is Dr. Knott. Andy, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Brilliant. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Um, We're speaking the the night after the night where we lost 1-0 at Manchester City. And we'll be getting into the details of that in part two. But in part one, wanted to go through a bit, a few bits of general news and information. Before we do that, though, Alistair, a quick catch up with you. You came on the show with fellow Manchester-based fan Nick um, when you came on last time. And um, what have you been up to since? How's it going? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I, I suppose, like everyone, really, just getting used to what it's like to be in lockdown. I mean, we do call it Lockdown Manchester, given that we've been in some form of tier restriction since the end of July. So we actually only had three weeks when we went in lockdown since, the, since Boris announced it back in March. So, um, so that, that's been part of it. But, um, watching the Albion over Christmas um, uh, and uh, basically trying to sort of cheer ourselves up uh, around that. But, uh, but yeah, working really hard uh, as well. Um, I'm very, very fortunate in that you know, work's been coming in and I, I kind of work from home. So it's been a busy month on that side as well. So my, my brain's a little bit scrambled, having just spent a full day on Zoom all day today. Um, but it's great to be here. I'd much rather be talking to you guys. 
Yeah, well, it's, it's good to relax and then just go on Zoom again, isn't it? Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's a more relaxing version of Zoom than uh, what you've been dealing with today. Um, anyway, great great to have you back with us. And how's Manchester been? I mean, is it uh, what, what's the vibe like up there at the moment? It, it's weird. I, I mean, in, in many ways, it doesn't feel any less busy than it has been um, before the lockdown. But then every now and again, I kind of go out for a lunchtime walk when it's a sunny day and I've, and I've got maybe half an hour in it and, it and I have noticed things quietening down a bit. Um, but I think just generally in Manchester, um, we've been really fortunate in that we were, because we were in the, all of those tiers of lockdown, much and painful that that's been, um, we're actually in a much better place than lots of the South East. So actually, potentially, you know, we could open up maybe quicker uh, than other parts where there has been a lot, a lot of the virus. So, you know, thinking about that, but obviously footballing wise, um, looking down the road, I, I live in the shadow of Old Trafford uh, in Stretford. Um, there's some very happy Reds. Uh, in the city who um, have been jumping up and down um, the fact that they're top of the league, at least until they get royally beaten by Liverpool at the weekend, which will really (laughs) put them in a bad mood. Um, But certainly the red half of the city has been rattling their sabres and and sounded quite a lot more happy than they have been for quite some time. Ollie at the wheel, I've heard it, overheard it being sung through the Zoom, uh, you know, the the kind of Zoom echoes from the Manchester Mm -hmm. internet. It's a funny world, isn't it? Because about a month ago, there was that talk of him being sacked again. And now, yeah. now they're top of the league. I know. Yeah, random, random. Yeah, it's a funny old season. It's quite a tight division. So I think things can change so quickly in a matter of weeks, can't it? And you're in the shadow. Yeah, you're in the shadow of Old Trafford. United themselves have been in the shadow of our opponents yesterday, City, haven't they? Um, they can't seriously be thinking they're going to get out of that shadow anytime soon, though, can they? City are I- looking pretty good. City look very good. And, and, and yeah, anyone who doesn't think that City are a title contender, I think, um, are deluded. Uh, but at the same time, now, aren't they? yeah, but at the same time, you know, stranger things have happened. You know, like United, but mathematically they can do it. Um, whether or not they've got the consistency and whether they can really build on that. It, you know, obviously Pogba performed the other night. And, but, you know, that's, that seems to be, he seems to be such a fickle player. You can't see that lasting a whole season, which is what they really need. They need all their top players to all perform right at the top in order to win the championship. Um, but yeah, other teams still got a chance of winning it too as well. So, so it's not just City and, and, and Liverpool and Man United. I think there's still other teams. Uh, it's, it's one of those seasons, isn't it, where it's been such an even playing field and, uh, which makes it exciting for us as people looking upwards. <laughs> mm. We've had a couple of Man U fans, as you might know on our podcast before, friends of mine and down here in London, and they've been puffing their chests up as well. Uh, it's getting quite nauseating already. Uh, <laughs> and they all do no one, in my view, is better at, bit at puffing their chest out and being slightly uh, <laughs> arrogant than Man U fans. It's, uh... Yeah. To be fair, they are doing it kind of tongue in cheek, and there's a couple of Liverpool fans on one of the WhatsApp groups, so they're doing it mainly just to annoy them, which is fun. But uh, anyway, there we go. And uh, Andy, how have you been? I haven't had you on for a couple of a few few episodes. How's things? I've been well, you know, um, bored. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I've been really grateful for the football. There was some conversation uh, about things closing down um, and so forth, but uh, um, I, I, if the players want it, which I suspect that they do. Um, I would like it to keep going right up until uh, um, the the last thing because it's providing some relief. I mean, Peter, at one point you've said that you've were falling out of love with the game. I, 
I, I, I'm really grateful for the game during this lockdown. I, th- I think it's not the game so much. I think it's it's Albion. I think it's I think the the constant stream of the similar performances and results, along with the fact I'm not there, as kind of it's not really made me fall out of love. It's just I feel less connected to it than normal. So oh, defeats aren't as defeats aren't as painful. I think in a weird way when you've not travelled 200 miles, or whatever to go sort of for an away game and you're not there, then when you're watching it on TV, you're a bit more distant from it. And so and I think that will change when we're back in the, the you know back watching. It's just at the moment it feels. I think relegation possibly this season will feel less painful if it happened because yeah, I, I I kind of take what you're saying because the the journey back after a poor performance and a bad result can be bad unless you can find some way to make it less painful. Which alcohol? <laughs> oh, I might have been referring to that. Possibly. I, I found myself um, on the Piglet's Pantry website last night thinking, yeah, I need something to cheer me myself up. And, and that's one of the ways I really connect with the Albion. I, I've, I've done that too. Um, and <laughs> a similar response uh, from it. I, I agree about the season carrying on, though. I think for the reason that you're saying, I think it probably will carry on because the government really want to keep people occupied, I would say, when they're all at home. And football is, frankly, a, one of the best ways, home football on TV pretty much every night, is a very good way of keeping people at home and making them, giving them something to do rather than going trying to go around to friends' houses, which they're not allowed to do, but still probably people do do. Yep, it's a wonderful yeah. distraction. It really is. It is, yeah. And there's another yeah, I've, I've gone on record before, of course, saying that in particular, I love the FA Cup. We had that uh, last weekend and I really, really enjoyed that. I thought it was a particularly good one anyway. Um, we didn't talk in too much detail about other games apart from our own. Um, one point on our own game that I would like to draw attention to is um, Karen Carney's comments in the um, on Match of the Day, the highlight show. I think it was on, yes, on the Sunday, uh, where she said, this is the game management for Brighton, who was six minutes over the 90 and the ball goes in. He clearly tries to punch in, um, uh, to punch it, steal, and takes his eye off it, comes out and does not make any contact on it. And then it goes in as an own goal off Webster. This is just the side of Brighton that I don't see, the nastiness of going ahead and then grinding out a result. Um, now, do we agree with that? Because if we don't, I think we, sh- we should be encouraging Tony Bloom to go on social media and, um, and call her out and get thousands of people to abuse yeah, her. Yeah, I was literally about to say the same. Um, someone else. <laughs> but no, I mean, she's probably right, isn't she? she I mean, it, it wasn't talking. even like we had much time to hold on, was it? It was like three minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm still confused I mean, as to why Steele didn't catch it. It was pretty easily easily caught ball. I don't understand why he tried to punch it. Well, I think what happened was, I think that as the ball came in, I think he was intending to catch it as it first started travelling in. And I think as it, as it came sort of two-thirds of the way towards him, he realised it was going to be droppable scenario to try and catch it so he then decided to punch it but too late to have actually made the timing on the contact that he wanted that's what I thought was happening there Mm -hmm. there was word that there might have been a communication breakdown between Webster and him as well but I don't know Alistair you're nodding Do do you reckon that's what happened then a change of mind yeah I mean obviously Steele's not played with that defense um in a in the match, in the heat of the match, he's obviously played in training. Um, but do they have that understanding that they have, um, which is obviously is, is beginning to happen now uh, in our in our current setup? So yeah, it could easily happen. And also, you've got to add add in the fact that you know disorientating being um, sort of it's a Newport game, the you know, FA Cup, all of those different factors as well. Um, yeah, 
who knows yeah. who knows but yeah. but it was really frustrating to see that and then that extra 90 extra 30 minutes and the penalties oh. all of that added extra stress and you could yeah. see that fatigue i think just last night kicking in even though we had a lot of changes there was but still you got some key players there um that yeah. would have had a, just a few extra legs and just a bit more energy yeah. Yeah, we won't went on the cup too much because obviously we did cover it a bit last time. But I did want to mention a little bit about that, um, particularly in light of the fact you've got a Newport connection, haven't you, Alistair, as well, um, as well as a City one. Yeah, so Newport was the first team I ever went to see. My dad is originally from Newport. Um, and, uh, and although I was born uh, uh, in England, um, yeah, we used I, I went back to visit my granddad in Newport when I was about seven years old. And I remember watching uh, a very foggy match uh, with Newport. I think it was Oxford United. I was only seven at the time, but I remember Newport winning 3-1. And I remember the last goal going in at the other end in the fog. And, uh, and it was a nighttime match on a Saturday with the light shine. You could hardly see it, but it was a, a hat-trick for this player called Tommy Tynan, who I think had a bit of a reputation around the town for being a bit up his own uh only steam shall we say of his own backside uh yeah so i don't know he was particularly popular amongst the locals but but at the same time he obviously did the business for them that day they dropped out and they, they no longer existed so um yeah there's yeah, a long true. time ago it's, it's the other the other newport not not the current newport team true andy um yeah a few things about carney i mean going back to what you alluded to with the leads i actually thought her comment um was wrong um, or she could have qualified herself slightly better in terms of leads because it wasn't the lockdown that caused her promotion. Um, it may well have assisted it, but it wasn't the cause of their promotion. But obviously um, the reaction that happened was disgraceful. In terms of her comment about us, I mean, my view on Steele was that was a horrendous mistake um, and uh, we can try and explain it, but I don't think you can try and justify it. Alistair's point about the extra uh, kind of physical and mental energy that he exposed the rest of the players to, I, I just think was very poor. But despite that, that was one of the best um, penalty um, displays that you mm. can come across. Um, the point that Khan is making about us, though, was one that was made by a colleague of mine, which, and the way in which he formulated it, I, I just thought was really, really interesting, actually, and there might be something in it. And that's, we seem to have some kind of mental block. Um, we can't go into the lead, um, and we can't hold on to a lead. But when we're chasing a lead, we seem to be quite creative and, and kind of get there. I mean, I, I didn't think we did in the Arsenal game, but most other games, even even last night, we showed a little bit, uh, um, uh, you know, not too much really, but then you've got to factor in the quality of the opposition. But I, I think the way in which he, he's put that is um, what I hadn't heard somebody express all of those factors together and, you know, perhaps there's something in there. I think the league question is quite an interesting one because I think Newcastle is the only league game this season where we've gone on to score the second goal, having to score first. Yeah, yeah, so you're right. Up all season, which is ridiculous in 18 games. I mean, that's. But then on the other hand, we've only won two, so I suppose it's not that surprising. You know, we don't give away two goalies, or three goalies, or much. But yeah, so and that was like literally about four minutes afterwards, wasn't it? It wasn't even like we had time to think about it for the next attack we score from. Yeah. So. The other thing is, of course, conceding goals just before. 
uh, the half-time whistle is, is a bit yeah. of an issue, but we'll, we'll get into that more in part two. But just a couple of other bits on the FA Cup I do want to just uh, flag up. Um, first of all, Marine, obviously brave efforts, but they lost in the M5-0 to Spurs. Um, but there was a brilliant initiative, wasn't there, with virtual tickets, match sponsorship deals, mm. um, with Bob Weiser after the, the, the lads who works for Sainsbury's uh, went to do the co-op, didn't he, to get some beers uh, after the last round when they won. And his dad, who is his manager at another Sainsbury store where they both work, chastised him for having gone to co-op, which is quite funny. But it led to Bob Weiser sponsoring them. But the virtual ticket thing, in the end, they even on match day, it was 20,000 virtual tickets have been sold, mainly due to initiatives from Spurs fans, as well as Newport themselves in the first place. Um by the afternoon, it was 25,000. And after kickoff, it then went up and on to 31,000 tickets sold um, just under, which is basically the exact equivalent of a full annex, which is an amazing amount. I think they're all £10 each. Um, it was apparently Liverpool and Everton fans who cottoned onto it later on who then jumped on as well, um, uh, or at least mainly so anyway. And brilliant. I think it's great to see those sort of initiatives and people supporting clubs Um I know there's been other similar things going on in previous rounds uh, with some of the smaller clubs helping out the even smaller clubs. But um, it's great to see, isn't it, guys? Yeah, I, I, I actually think that um, the weekend's fixtures was the best FA Cup weekend that I've known for you know way, way over a decade. Um, yeah. I really do. And I, I mm. think it may well have been caused by the COVID situation and the lockdown and, and so forth. Um, yeah. But there were so many good stories in there. And, you know, as much as our game wasn't exactly the most thrilling of game, at least it had that tension, didn't it? Mm. Uh, um, Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, Brighton are obviously the second best team <laughs> in Sussex. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Alistair, do you want to go next then, Peter? Right? Do we think that part of the reason for that was the fact that there weren't the replays? Actually, we had the extra time and then penalties. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. I, I, I have one commentator saying that actually maybe the fact that we didn't go straight to penalties after the 90 minutes would have been... I suppose the extra time kind of added a nod to the fact that normally there would have been a replay with the FA Cup and there wouldn't have been with the League Cup. Um, but actually, yeah, I thought that was... Uh, I thought that that helped kind of with the excitement of it, um, it made it, you know, almost that cup final. So it really was Marines cup tie. Um, admittedly, yeah, they, they didn't win. Um, and, and, but it was just a great atmosphere from them. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was the Chorley, uh, uh, the yeah. Chorley win. Uh, and I still want to know why it is that they sing Adele. I had, so I haven't actually managed to get to the bottom of that. I know they do sing Adele and, um, I was chatting to someone at work. Um, today on a on a Zoom call, uh, who's based in Chorley, and I was asking him if he knew the origin of the Adele song. Um, but other than the fact that yeah, they just I sing, think, I think it's something to do with um, one of the players just um, had that as one of their choices on um, on the yeah the playlist in the changing room, and they just latched onto it from there some somewhere along the line. I think that's what it was. Yeah, it's quite. And, nice. I, thought, <laughs> and I thought that the fact that Adele her single acknowledgement of that was a heart on her Twitter in response, and that's it. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah. it. Just like one heart. She's got 240 characters now. She could respond with, but yeah, one heart. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they beat a very youthful Derby team, but it's a brilliant result, surely. I mean, they're going further than they've ever gone before. Mm. It's great to see a non-league team get to that stage. And if you're, if you're not called Chorley and you want a giant killing, I suppose you could rhyme it with 
say Crawley. It looks like Peter might want to speak. I'll just lead, lead it over to you now, Peter. I actually wasn't going to talk about Leeds, but I, I can happily. <laughs> Um, well, the fact they got brushed aside in what, very, what a very brilliant first goal that was as well. I mean, the guy's got nothing oh, on, yeah. literally nothing on. He's got his back to goal and he somehow managed to beat about four defenders and, and hit it. You could argue the keeper might have done a little bit better, but yeah, it's harsh to say that for the, the, the attacker. It was a brilliant goal. I was going to make two points. One was I've, I one that summed up the cup with, with um, Marine not playing for so long. I think it was Clitheroe's player manager that they signed on loan for 14 days. So they could yes. get like a, he could play in the cup because Clitheroe weren't playing either, which I thought was a pretty amazing story. And the other one, which I thought was a really good, good story and actually was a, unusually from an all Premier League game was that Aston Villa's youth team held Liverpool for like an hour, pretty, which mm. is pretty impressive. A Liverpool team with like Salah and Mane and, you know, and they, they held their own for an hour and um, Gareth Barry's namesake, obviously, uh, Louis scoring the, the goal for them, and yeah, that, that was, was a pretty, good goal as well. Yeah, really, really yeah. well done to be fair to Villa's beauty team. They did draw. Yeah, yeah. the, the look um, on his so face was brilliant, wasn't it, when he scored as well? I mean, those, yeah. those are the st- and the one you said about the Clitheroe player manager on loan to to, uh, to Marine. Those are the kind of stories that yeah. just really add colour and character to the. That I liked was this. Um, Along with the stat that Mourinho had never beaten Marine before the weekend, which amused me, with uh, the fact that was it, I think Villa's, Villa's players, I think the oldest one was three when James Milner made his debut, and then the youngest, about four or five of them, weren't even born when he made his debut in 2002 yeah. or something. Marine against Mourinho, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, the, the lad that scored for Chelsea actually lives close to, um, or, or he's from close to where I am here in Enfield, North London. He's from Winchmore Hill, which is just down the road from here. And he was on Spurs books. He, I mean, you've probably heard the story by now. He had an accident, a bad car accident. He was out of the game for a couple of years. He wasn't even sure he'd be play at all, let alone get back into professional level. And, and you know, for him to score that goal was absolutely brilliant. He broke down kind of in the uh, post-match interview as well on the pitch, which is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all the, the, the tears, the joy, it's all that stuff is why we all love it, isn't it? Um, I think that was great. And, of course, Blackpool um, put Hippo the Hypocrite's baggy West Brom side out as well to set up a glamour draw, um, the, the one everyone wanted, away to uh, the Albion at the Amex. Um, and obviously, it, we had this weird thing of fourth and fifth round draws both being done at the same time. So we already know who we would have played if we didn't get giant killed by Blackpool, uh, which is what's going to happen, which would have been Brentford or Leicester away. I think I've quite fancied Brentford to actually pull off a shock there because they're a good team. Leicester have to be on it, um, but Leicester are a good side. I think it's going to be a very tricky game for whoever gets through the battle of the seaside clubs, isn't it, in that one? Um, I don't know if any other points on FA Cup. If not, we'll move swiftly on. Um, so um, just one bit, actually. We've we've been involved in transfer speculation, the Albion, haven't we, this week? Um, we had Tim Vickery on the show um, a while ago, October, I think it was, uh, so I took the liberty of phoning up the World Football phone-in, which I've done in the past, and asked him directly uh, what he thought about the rumours of Moises Caicedo from um, uh, from Ecuador, who's, who plays for Independiente del Valle. Um, he's basically a box-to-box midfielder, athletic, cool temperament. Um, he's stepped up through each new level he's had to deal with, getting through into the youth team, into the first team, into the internationals. He's, he's taken it completely in his stride, which does bode well for potentially moving to Europe and being able to take on that change. Um, he wasn't sure at the time who the club, that the, uh, the, the, the selling club had said they've got a deal with, the Premier League club had firmed up a deal. Um, 
he wasn't sure who that was, but he was quite perplexed that Man United hadn't stayed involved because they were the team that the previous week he'd said they were going to be going to. Obviously, something's changed there. Um, but by all accounts, this guy sounds like a player. He said if we get him, he's, he's going to be a really good addition. He's only 19 at the moment. Um, it seems from various rumours, various places, that we are the club that have secured it, but it's it's subject to a work permit, which we're working on at the moment. Um, this is clearly long-term succession planning for the midfield, isn't it? Whether it's to replace Basuma or go alongside him, I don't know. More likely the latter, isn't it? Uh, the former. Um, but anyway, interesting there. Um, we, have, we have an awful lot of young midfielders, don't we? If we sign him, we've got yeah. Moda as well, and we've got like, Elzate, Mlumbi, Sanders, Weir and um, what's his name and uh, thingy on the uh, Jenks were all on the bench last night as well. I mean, they've, it's a, we're not short of young central midfielders, are we? Yeah, I mean, striker-wise, I'm not convinced. We'll get into it. This probably more in the city review element um, later on, but I'm not convinced that we're going to get a striker in this window. Um, if we did, I still think Corley Woodrow might be an outside bet. He scored again at the weekend in the, in the cup. Albeit a penalty, but convincingly buried. Um, unlike some of our given, yeah, because they've given, given our, our penalties at the weekend. I don't think we can <laughs> comment about people only scoring from penalties. Yeah, <laughs> um, one of our strikers did score, but it was Victor Jokeres, who was um, got finally got his first goal for Swansea in their two 0 cup win. Um, he's now apparently leaving them. Yeah, he's, there's a, he's aware of interest from Malmo actually in his native Sweden, so he might be going there. The, um, the rumour yeah, today is that he's going he's, to another championship been, team. He's, oh, been, really? he's been recalled from Swansea. Yeah, there's talk oh, of Coventry right. or Birmingham. Well. I heard it. And I can yeah. only see that as a prelude to his departure, probably permanently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I, so. I suspect you're right because his um, girlfriend, who used to also play for us, has gone back to Sweden. So. Hmm. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. So that makes sense, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of transfer speculation, nothing too solid, but there was the guy, Bulaye Ali, was yeah. it his name? Bulaye. Oh, Dia, that's it, yeah. Ali Dia, I'm thinking, I'm mixing them up. <laughs> um, he, Hope um, he's better than him. <laughs> yeah, well, West Ham are interested, so they'll be throwing stupid wages around, so that's probably that one done. Yeah, um, yeah. apart from that, um, no other solid news at the moment. Um at least incoming. Um, other news, football general-wise, um, Scott Parker, of course, um, expressed his severe annoyance with the 24-hour notice given for the rescheduling of their game, the Spurs-Fulham match, um, because Villa have still got problems there. Hours. 40, 48 hours, yeah. Yeah, um, apparently so. Um, yeah, and Villa's game with Fulham was, uh, was well, with Tottenham, sorry, was called off. So it allowed Tottenham to play Fulham. And um, he wasn't too happy, but he's probably a little more happy after they managed to get a draw, rather yeah. irritatingly, in the uh, in, in following our game yesterday evening. I watched the game. Spurs looked off colour. Shame they weren't off colour. And shame they didn't get the dodgy decisions they did in our match against them. Uh, but there we go. Sod's law. So they're only a point behind now. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Are they two behind us? They are. Oh, good. Oh, that's all right. I, I misread the table. That's cheered me up slightly. <laughs> yeah, they've got two games in hand. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, makes things a little more nervous. Um, um, the other result, of course, um, Sheffield United beating Newcastle. I mean, I think this is good news. I mentioned 
um, the red card incidents as well that um, before that have gone dodgily this season. Um, again, Billy Sharp could have got the sent off there for for an incident. Newcastle did get sent a player sent off, and they still only just scraped past um, Sheffield United. Just scraped past them, didn't they? Um, to be honest, they're so far behind. If they do catch us, we've got problems regardless. So There's a lot of unrest happy. in the, uh, the northeast about Bruce as well. There's a yeah, he's under a lot of pressure. He's very lucky they're um, not again another one manager who's quite lucky there's no crowd there because I I can't believe that the uh, that St James's Park wouldn't be expressing its disapproval if he, if they were there. Yeah, because despite being a Geordie, he's uh, he split opinion right from the off, hasn't he? I mean, I'm sure it's to do with his coaching credentials more than anything. But um, but they're, yeah, they're I mean, the opposite of us though. They hmm. get results playing dreadful football. <laughs> yeah, they have. Yeah. All their expected goal stats are terrible, aren't they? They're like, they're, but they they nick one nil wins, whereas we obviously can't do that. I, yeah. I have to praise their defensive organisation. When I've seen them play, they really are well organised. And I, I take a, I suppose, a perverse pleasure from the Hutton days, for instance, and remembering our defensive organisation and. and to me, they've got that now, but um, yeah, um, you're, you're right that uh, the fans really aren't happy with them at all. Yeah. yeah, I think they're in trouble. We did we did say, you know, that apart from the fact they've got a habit of nabbing results, Callum Wilson's been the difference for them. He scored, I, I haven't looked at the stats, but he scored a number of um, key goals, hasn't he? And match deciding goals he, to one extent. I think he's got the best conversion rate of yeah. all forwards this, this season. Yeah. But, yeah, they're, they're very like what what we were under Hutton with Murray, obviously, similarly, because his conversion rate was excellent as well. I mean, I've uh, the the point that I think you're alluding to, Russell, is that they might get dragged back in. I, I just don't see it myself. I, I think the survival points total is going to be dramatically low this season. Mm. Um, and what I think they're on 19 already, aren't they? Um, uh, yeah, they're five ahead of us, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I I really think very low 30s this year will be enough for survival. Hmm. But then, of course, that, yeah. that five points, if we beat them at home, it's only two, and it's very, you know, the gap yeah. there. I mean, given how we played against them away, they'll be it even depends, more defensive. It depends, how, it depends how much they deteriorate, isn't it? I mean, if, they really, if, if Wilson gets injured, for example, and they continue generally in the same form, I think they get dragged in. It depends how well Fulham can do as well. If Fulham keep doing what they're doing in recent weeks, they've got every chance of of catching them as well. So, you know, but the thing about Fulham is that they're not winning games like mm. us. They mm. they their last five points are all draws, whereas ours, yeah. ours is probably like eight or nine, isn't it? Um, yeah. Of course, the other the other team in the equations, Burnley. At least they did lose home to Man United, who we were talking about earlier. So at least that's helpful. Um, other news, just quickly before we round off the first part. Um, Crystal Palace, first an infraction of the rules when uh, Milivojevic visited Mitrovic for New Year. Now Eze's popped up to watch a QPR game. Is his old teammate sitting on the bench or somewhere near the bench, um, right next to a teammate less than a metre away, no mask on. Um, uh, well, and, and basically just breaking all the social distancing protocols. Roy Hodgson with a powder puff chastisement on in the media as, in both cases. The first one said, well, we've got to make sure that we, they know what they should be doing. And that was after the first incident where you should have made sure at the beginning of the season that they know what they're doing. And now, you know, two incidents later, he's still powder puffing along about, about it all. Um, 
Absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Alistair, go on, put the boot in. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, he's frozen under the spotlight. Oh, some of those haircuts looked. Oh, here we go. Yeah, sorry, Alistair, say again. Sorry, I was very surprised last night how sharp some of those haircuts looked. Yeah. I, I won't talk about Phil Foden's football, but he he's, his hair looked. Yeah. Yeah. How, how have they got such professional cuts? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it seems rather suspicious, I have to say. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing that surprised me was it was raining in Manchester. I don't know who ordered the rain. That's not normal, is it? What's going on there? <laughs> um, well, um, there's also one other, a couple of other bits. Um, fake job to youth player's father to induce him into the signing for City. Um, there's a story about this somewhere along the line. I'm not quite sure what this is all about. It's something to do with the price of football. Um, it's a scandal that's been reported in The Athletic. I haven't had time to read that yet, so I'm not sure what the details are, but that's quite interesting. Um, some shenanigans going. Um, basically, it sounds like somebody was being employed in order to in induce the son to sign for them on youth terms. I don't know who the player was. Um, so some naughtiness going on there. And of course, Celtic have also got themselves in trouble. Um, their chief executive, I can't remember his name, said that uh, with hindsight and having seen the consequences, um, we probably we shouldn't have gone to, to buy. I think foresight as well as hindsight could have told you that. Tra tragic, isn't it? It really does seem difficult to understand, doesn't it, for a lot of people. <laughs> what were they thinking? Absolutely crazy. They went to Dubai for a warm weather training break didn't they basically yeah madness anyway so there we go so that's pretty much it for part one's ranting uh, in part two we'll be probably doing less ranting despite a defeat as we talk about the city game where we are hoping to be joined by a city podcaster um so until then we'll just take a quick break and go and get ourselves some drinks stay tuned folks Okay, so welcome back to part two of this episode, where we are now going to talk about the City match. We are hoping to be joined shortly by Kevin, a podcaster on Matters Manchester City. Um, hopefully he will be joining us in due course. But in the meantime, we'll get cracking on the review of the game. Um, in fact, before we do it, one thing I just wanted to mention in regard to Tim Vickery. Um, he, uh, on the, when I phoned him up on the World Football phone-in, he said um, he really loves the player. And if he could, he'd buy him himself and put him on his mantelpiece, <laughs> which is a quote he then reiterated to Sky later the next day. Um, I'm not quite sure that's where you want to put your footballers, but still. Anyway, on to the City game. Um, guys, it was a decent game overall, wasn't it? A decent performance. I think lots of positives to take. We lost the game 1-0, but... Um, I think from the beginning onwards, we, we played well. Unfortunately, we're meeting City in very good form and they were playing very well also. Um, Pep pre-match was full of praise for us, saying how much of a difficult fixture it was going to be. He was quoted in, on Sky Sports News saying, all he's thinking about is just Brighton, is all he's concerned with. Brighton, Brighton, Brighton. <laughs> and he also went on to say, uh, we're a joy to watch. That was before the game. Um, he was even more gushing in praise later after the match. But... Um, what was your take on it, guys? I mean, first of all, Alistair, did you catch the game live or did you see the highlights? 
So I had to listen on the radio, I'm afraid, because I was um I wasn't uh, able able to watch it on TV, but I, I listened to the radio uh, on Five Live, which is really interesting. It's just a different perspective for me for a yeah. change. But normally, I'd watch it, um, but then also saw the highlights uh, on Match of the Day at the end of the night. But yeah, really fascinating uh, game. I, I mean, it it was the classic game of two halves. Uh, in yeah. that I think that first half they kind of toyed with us for the first fifteen minutes, played with us a little bit, and once they'd sussed us out, uh, it was relentless for half an hour. So when that goal did go in just before half time, uh, I wasn't amazingly surprised um but it was a very good goal i mean the way he threaded that through just inside the post was was very impressive but i, I but i suppose the credit to us is that it took a goal like that to break down the defense after uh, after such a uh, thing but some really impressive performances i thought um particularly um obviously sanchez did incredibly well uh, and added i think added to his reputation in brighton uh, but also it was great to see town get his premier league demo, debut uh, and i think his pace although we didn't really see much of him until the second half i think um but when he did get the ball and was able to run at them i think they were pretty shocked uh, or at least they definitely gave him the respect that he was due um from from what he was doing the the issue was just kind of getting the ball to him and particularly in that first half he didn't really get a lot of chance to do that um but yeah uh some good defending, um, sort of Webster, Dunk, uh, even even you know, um, yeah. I I I thought uh, on the whole it was a great defensive performance, which is why kind of our best players are going to be the goalkeeper and the defenders. Uh, yeah. But but uh, but again, also it's kind of seeing that pace that Town has and and a bit of skill and a kind of again settling in with the with the team. You just hope that. He, he gets his shooting boots on as well because that's what we still desperately need, isn't it? Yeah, for, for me it was a it was um, the stars of the show were the guys we signed about two years ago. Um, Percy Tau has finally come in. He looked bright, didn't he? he looked really good. Um, first start, first Premier League game. Um, yeah, pace, um, incision, directness, but in a creative way where perhaps that isn't quite the case with Connolly, for example, um, and McAllister, who I've always said is a good player. I have felt he struggled in the games he's had, partly because it's not been consistency of, of selection. Um, but he looked really good. A couple of key blocks, as well as the forward stuff that he was doing. And um, they looked hungry for it. And I thought Trossard was up for it too. Um, so I, I think there's lots of positives to be had, apart from, as you said, some good defending. And in the final stage of the game, we seem to have the ball in their half an awful lot for a, uh, for a game against Man City. Um, Andy, what do you make of the game? Um I, I don't think I disagree with anything said. I mean, I, I, I think the players that have been identified um, uh, uh, are the ones that warrant it. Yeah, McAllister was probably my man of, man of the match. Um, and I think that's... A, I know he hasn't played too many full games, but um, what we've seen from him is kind of glimpses in cameos where he's been extremely good. But when he's played for longer periods, he hasn't really tended to shine. Mm. Whereas this 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 was comfortably his best uh, um, longer performance um, and I, I agree with how you described Tao as well far, far more direct I mean I'm I'm still a little bit um, reticent to get too excited about Tao and I'm, I know lots of people are South African fans, for example. Well, no, not really. Not <laughs> I know, I know, apart from that. But, um, hmm. My question to everyone getting really excited is how many goals do you expect him to score this season? Um, because he does, you know, there we were talking about Bula Dyer going to West Ham in all likelihood because they're going to 
double the wages that we offer. Um, and it's a goal scorer that we need, really. Um, and my different slant on this is, yeah, I don't disagree with anything that's been said, but in a sense, it was so familiar. We've seen this over and over again mm. this season. And, um, yeah, despite the fact that I wouldn't go into the Potter out camp, even if we got relegated or, or that's what my current position is so long as he maintains the players um you, you know what we need is one of those Newcastle type performances where we don't play well but we nick a win um uh, um because yeah I I really get um that people you know Brighton fans are getting quite depressed with um and they really don't want to hear what has been said, which is we played really well, but we didn't get the result. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with that, Andy. And, and then literally we've done that against the big sides this season anyway. Chelsea, we played really well against last. Uh, United, we played really well against last. Tottenham, we played really well against last. Liverpool, we did get the point against, but probably should have got more given our chances in the first half. You know, it's like, mm. it, and yes, it, and the frustration is that probably given what happens the rest of the rest of the season, we'll then go on Saturday and play a lot, you know, not play as well against Leeds and lose. And that's where, if you know, obviously it's not a bad result and a decent, you know, we're not going to go down if we lost one nil at Man City. We'll go down because we played well at Man City and didn't follow it up against Leeds with a good res- performance and lose as well. Yeah, uh, that is the concern, isn't it? I mean, in terms of the lineup, by the way, it was um, for anyone that didn't know what it was. It's Sanchez in goal. We had Dunk and Webster as the centre backs with Feltman at right back, and effectively, I think Burn at left back. Um, more, it was pretty much a four-three-one-two, I would say, or something, or four-three-three around that sort of way with Bernardo playing further forward on the left, or so it seemed. Um, White in, in the central mid and proper over to the other side. Or, or kind of, it's a bit of a flexible formation. It, you could argue it was wing backs maybe at certain points. Um, and then, of course, we had McAllister ahead of, um, ahead of them with Percy Tau and mm. Trossard further forward. Um, what do you make of the, of the team selection and, and, the, and the lineup, guys? Um, I mean, just, just quickly on that. I mean, Bernardo was kind of playing in a kind of strange position. It, it was almost yeah. as though we were playing both a back four and a back five. Um, and he really did get through an awful lot of work. Um, I mean, he's really gone down in my estimations in terms of his technical ability, but he really put himself about. Um, uh, um, and I thought he, had, he did put in a couple of really good crosses as well. I mean, Proper was inches away from from one of those yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah I'm really pleased for him because he's a player I've always liked um, uh, but obviously it hasn't, it hasn't come through in the last year or year and a half since Potter's been here really yeah, it's funny because I, I really thought Bernardo would be one like Basuma, who would, you know, a young player mm. who had obviously had ability would really thrive under Potter. But yeah, whereas Basuma's gone one way and really become a key part of this team, Bernardo seems to have, have dropped out. They're both players on the face of it should do well under Potter, both quite quick, both quite mobile, you know, decent. I know they're different positions, but yeah, it's like they've, they've had opposite effect with him. It's but the, the, the difference between those two is technical ability, isn't it? Mm. I think. Yeah, perhaps. He does like playing him in the City games, doesn't he, Bernardo, actually? Um, but you look at the team and you, you think, well, McAllister's kind of been in and out. Um, you've had 
Uh, Bernardo's been out and out. Uh, Trossard's been inconsistent. And it's those sort of players that have been given their go in this match. And it's been uh, it's been interesting to see um, that they kind of did, gave a good account of themselves. We seem to have got an injury crisis almost out of nowhere. You know, there's lots of talk of a few players mm. with the odd little, you know, niggly injury, that sort of thing. And suddenly we've got like three central midfielders who are all kind of, you know, never been on the bench before in the league, all suddenly on the bench. And yeah, I don't quite know where that's come from. But obviously, the, you look at the players we had out last night, you know, and Basuma hopefully is back, or back at the weekend, but like Lamptey and Welbeck and Connolly and and um, at least one or two other, oh, Lallana, all of those would have been involved probably last night. Mope and um, March or two were on the bench for two of our better players as well. So considering, I think considering overall what the team was, they did pretty well generally. Yeah, yeah I, I do wonder if Potter had um, more than an eye on the Leeds game. Um, and l- let's see who's available for that game um, yeah. on that front. Well, let's also, at this point, um, get the views from the other side, because we've now been joined by Kevin Nelson, who is from the Main Road Ramble. Welcome to the show, Kevin, making your debut. How are you doing? Uh, well, apparently I can't figure out time zones, since I was supposed to, uh, I thought I was going to be on this one in an hour, and I had to rush on late, so I apologise for that. I'm no, that's fine. Right. <laughs> no problem at all. Um, any keen ears would hear that you have a stateside accent. Um, you are an American mm. citizen. Uh, that's correct. State. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but a city fan. So tell us, first of all, before we get back into the talking about the game, how did you come to be a city fan? When, when did it all start for you? And, and also about the podcast as well. Yeah. So honestly, kind of just random. Um, back in 2010, um, I got into the Premier League when I was in college and never really had a team. You know, my family doesn't have any rooting interest in the Premier League. So I was kind of just watching for about a year, about 2009, 2010, um, kind of, you know, like the team, like the colors. It was pretty much as simple as that. Um, and it obviously helped that they were getting good at that time. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to, I probably wouldn't have chosen them if it was the, 95 version of city in all honesty um and <laughs> well, i got lucky I because yeah because <laughs> i got lucky and essentially as soon as i started to kind of commit to rooting for them um they got they got good and i think the 93 20 play um when it were scored against qpr kind of really solidified mm. my like rabid fandom where i just felt so many emotions that i hadn't felt as a sports fan before and then um, it kind of s- snowballed into, I started writing for SB Nation a few years ago, and then we started this podcast, Made Road Ramble, um, about a year ago now. Um, and now we have five co-producers that are on that, and we do kind of other things that you guys do, just match reviews, transfer talk, general banter type of stuff. So, Yeah. Excellent, good. And, and you caught my attention because I noticed um, Albion Analytics, which is uh, a guy I think called Liam, isn't it? Brighton fan, um, popped on your show uh, pre-match uh, before the game between our sides the other day. And um, that caught my attention. So I thought I'd, I'd check you out. And it's, um, yeah, it seemed, seemed pretty good. It's a decent podcast for anyone who wants to get the other view. Uh, recommend Thank it, you. actually. It's pretty good. Pretty Thank good you. Um, so in terms of the game... Um, Bearing in mind you're in the States, you're from where exactly you are, you're six hours behind, is it? I don't know if you should be asking me that question anymore, but <laughs> I think it's five. <laughs> five hours. Yeah. I think it's five so did, now. 
Did you get to see the game? Because obviously that would have been during work time, wouldn't it, I guess? Yeah, I have the benefit of working from home these days. Um, yeah. And I can pretty much make my hours. I mean, it's eight hours throughout the day at some point. So whenever a city's playing during the week, I just kind of take a little bit of a big break and then I add it on at the end of the day. <laughs> so I was able to watch it, luckily, and then I was kind of consumed by all of the post-game talk afterwards. So it wasn't yeah. the most productive work day, I'm going to be honest with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best. Yeah. Um, so, so you, uh, well, we, so far we just um, talked about pretty much uh, about the Albion side of things at the moment in terms of some of our players and how we performed. As always, some interesting team selections from our point of view. You never know what's going to happen with the yeah. Graham Potter team, as you probably noticed um, if you follow the other games as well. Um, but what was your take on on us as well, but also on your guys? Because I thought Standard was good in the game. Yeah, no, I thought it was a well-played match, and I rate Graham Potter quite highly as a coach, and I think he was in a tough spot with this lineup because when I talked to Liam on our podcast last um, a few days ago, he had mentioned that, you know, he probably is going to have leads this weekend in mind when he's choosing the city lineup because he obviously has to balance um, where he can get his points from. And when I saw the lineup, I didn't know what to make of it because – there was five guys on there who are primarily center backs. And at first I was like, is he just going to run out of back five with five center backs? And then it kind of dawned on me that Ben Way will probably be the guy who's going to push forward to the midfield, which mm-hmm. I thought he was impressive there. And I think he's been good throughout the season for Brighton. Um, but I think Potter's game plan actually was strong because w- one of the challenges in playing city is that they're attacking group have a lot of fluidity where you really can't know where a certain player is going to be. They're kind of floating throughout the field. So it's hard to maintain your assignments defensively. And I think he was smart in the sense, especially Bernardo. And I mean, Brighton's Bernardo, by the way, not (laughs) Bernardo. He kind of had Potter almost matched city's attacking fluidity with his own defensive fluidity where like Bernardo was kind of, shifting between a midfield and a left wing back role quite consistently. And it, it seemed like his cue to do that was whether Mares was tucking inside or if he was staying wide. And I thought that actually really s- simplified it for bright inside where it made it easier in terms of maintaining that marking. So I was actually impressed with the way Potter played it. I know he was kind of, it was tough for him because he was playing for a stalemate essentially and as soon as the first goal goes in, you kind of know the way it's going to end up. I thought that there would be more goals in City's favor, to be honest. But um, it's it, – it, I mean, it's tough. And I think it's almost not his fault. City are just playing really well right now. So it was just a bad time to get him on the schedule. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about the other guys, but I, I always enjoy the games against City. It sounds a crazy thing to say because we get absolutely nothing from you guys at yeah. all. You're the only team, actually, we haven't taken anything from now. Yeah. Well, last year was bad, right? Was it? Was it 4-0 yeah. last year? Yeah. And 5-0 in the uh, in the home game. But yeah, the 4-0 away, ironically, we did play quite well in that game which is how daunting we found it. But they, they are, I think, probably in they're probably the purest best team in Europe, if that makes sense. In terms of the fluidity and the the easiness on the eye and just just the whole kind of total football as they would have called it in the past I think City are the closest to that Bayern Munich probably quite close behind Liverpool are an equally good team but a different type of team to City it's not 
quite so much for the purists. And, you know, they're a joy to watch and, and to come up against them playing as well as they were and to only lose 1-0 even though that doesn't do us any good in our current situation, yeah. um, obviously, it's still kind of quite satisfying to have, to have come away with just the one goal difference, obviously partly due to a missed penalty right near the end. Right. Um, but we were pretty gutted not to get to half-time, aren't we, guys, um, with nil-nil having got so close to it, mm. um, which is a an annoying trait of ours in games generally this season. Um, I don't know if anyone's got any comments Um uh, to, to add in here at this point um, I, about the, I think, the goal itself. Yeah, I think City's quality, um, you could just see there was about half an hour, that last half an hour of the first half. I think the first 15 minutes after they started to say that half an hour, it did, I mean, we talk about it, the football cliches, it feels like the Alamo um, where everything's thrown at you. Uh, so that goal coming, it was almost inevitable. And, but as a Brighton fan, you just saw us defending and defending and uh, every time City came up with something new, it looked like we had the response and, and I think Kevin was right that the work rate of Bernardo, we've already talked about that uh, just a little bit early before you came on. Um, that was phenomenal too. Not only that, um, yeah, we, we, uh, we, we just kind of this experiment with a new keeper um, uh, and that seems to be going well uh, from our, certainly from our perspective, not from City's perspective, because he pulled us some fantastic saves last night, I think. So I think w- with all of that, um, that goal that, that did eventually go in was just threaded through um, so well. So, I mean, all credit to Foden. That was, that was, a, that was, a, that was a joy to watch that goal, even though I'm, I'm a Brighton fan, first and foremost. Yeah, he took it well. We took it early and he, you couldn't guess where he was going to put it. And I think he just brushed it. He concentrated on the accuracy, brushed it right into the corner. And people may criticise Sanchez for that, possibly. I don't know. But I, I think he, if anything, was fractionally out of position, but it wasn't really. I think it was just when it's that good a shot, it's just... Yeah, again, it's the passing today, into the goal, isn't it, as well? And I will say on match today how clever it was that they, he waited until Dunk kind of moved forward a bit and then left the yeah. gap to move into and and the, the the touch that wrong-footed Webster was brilliant and yeah I don't think you can blame Sanchez at all I think it was just a really well really well taken goal I think the, the thing to me with City is that's so scary about them is even if even if it'd been nil-nil at half time they have the players on the bench like Sterling and Jesus and and Torres and that's I think why I think City will win the league in the end because Liverpool are man you don't have that depth on the bench they don't mm-hmm. have they have a decent bench but not that quality to come off it I mean when Aguero's back as well even more so and yeah, that, that depth is quite scary. Yeah, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I'd, if I can, can I take uh, this on to City itself? And, and perhaps this might be a few questions for Kevin. Um, I actually prefer Klopp's way of playing now than than City's, just because to me it's just, just more thrilling. Um, Pep has obviously changed things this season, ma- made them more defensively organised. Um, you know, the number of goals scored and conceded has has declined, I think, quite substantially. Um, but all of a sudden, he's stumbled across the central defensive partnership, which looks really, really strong um, from what I can see. I mean, I, I think that's good news for England with the um, Euros coming up, if, if it happens, because um, John Stones was uh, um, cast aside for a while. Uh, but the player that's really impressed me this season is um, the one whose name I'm about to forget. Um, the one that's playing right back. What's his name again? Jao Cancelo. Yeah, Jao Cancelo. Yeah, he's I, great. I think he's been absolutely extraordinary this season. And obviously, the and I suppose this is my big question, really. Um, the 
the upturn in form has coincided with what you might call a kind of full slot nine, um, no striker, uh, uh, lots and lots of uh, small midfielders kind of plan with one another. I'm I'm not entirely convinced that that will win you things um, when push comes to shove. Um, maybe as an option, but if it's the only way that you'll plan, and I rate um, I rate Aguero so highly as one of the the best forwards, goal scoring forwards. You, you know, if I was to back anyone with a chance, it would be Aguero Kane in in the Premier League. Um, and I, I just wonder whether you think you can do it if he doesn't play that much. Because uh, the other bit there is I, I don't really think that Gabriel Jesus has come through that his earlier promise kind of showed. But, uh, that was really interesting, actually, because when Jesus came on, at that point, City seemed to lose their balance. And that's when we had the majority of our chances in the second half, I think. Yeah, he, he did that. And he, he quickly adjusted, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 10 minutes, yeah. he adjusted the tactics, which is the quality of the... As a coach there. Uh, well, I, think, I think that the issue with Gabriel Jesus, and we've discussed this like numerous times in the podcast, is that he has a lot of quality as a player, but his first instinct as a striker is to drop in, which is good and is useful, but he is much more like Firmino than people think he is. And it works for Liverpool because when he drops in, you have two wingers who are looking to score consistently. The problem in the city team with Jesus is that he's often paired with wingers who also want to drop in and play on the ball because everybody is trying to just get on the ball for a lot of the time. And these lineups that Pep is playing with no striker or, or a false nine have been, he's actually used this. I think he used this one, a similar lineup against Newcastle, um, and it was similarly successful, but as a long-term thing, I I would love to have Aguero out there. It's just a question of like how much can they rely on him. I think a lot of fans want them to make a move in January for a striker because it does seem like the league is obviously in reach up to third place now. Um, but Pep has really had to shift around the puzzle pieces to make it work this season because it's been very unconventional, even for his standards, and he – loves to get weird with all of his lineups and everything. Um, but even yesterday, like when the lineup came out, you know, he was essentially playing seven midfielders and then two center backs. And he, like it was, it was a very pep lineup. And my concern when I saw it was obviously the talents there on the field, like no disputing that, but you need those guys who are going to run in behind and, you know, stretch that back line um, a little bit. And, there wasn't an obvious candidate to do that. I think Phil Thorne did a good job throughout the game of, you know, obviously he scores the goal, but I think his off-ball work actually was almost more important through, just throughout because he was the one who was off that left wing just kind of teasing the back line um, whenever they just needed to get pushed back a little bit. And I think a lot of the progress of the field was due to that. Um, but I think the, the – the difference between Liverpool and City and the reason why a lot of City fans can be pessimistic about this season, um, especially after last, is that City have become fairly easy to game plan against. Less so with these lineups because they're a little bit funkier. But in their normal way they play, it's 
it's a pretty easy blueprint. Essentially, just you pack 10 guys in your own third, you look to counter and city are not, they don't have that same chaotic energy that Liverpool do. I think Liverpool do a great job of like unsettling teams in just a world-class way that you really can't quantify. It's just, they just have this thing about them that, you know, each match they're tied one, one 85th minute. And everybody thinks that they're going to force an error that is going to seem like a really dumb move by the opponent, but it, it seems to happen every time. And it's like they defy those odds time and time again. And I think City are almost like too methodical for their own good sometimes, where like they should lean a little bit more into that chaos. So if I was a betting on it, I would still say City win the league this year, just because less so because of where they're currently at, because I do think this current team is not nearly as good as the teams from 17, 18, and 18, 19. I just think they have less issues than Liverpool and Tottenham and United and the list of contenders out there. I think City are still looking for that replacement for David Silva. I think um, he, he he was a great miss um, uh, from City, but also Kevin De Bruyne just, again, was was class last night. We've not mentioned his name yet. Uh, and, and he was just driving that uh, phenomenally. That was, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, just to add to that yeah De Bruyne has to be mentioned as as just a, a dreamy player he, he really is um, must be delightful supporting a, a team uh, um with that it really um, is I'll be honest with you it's great I love it <laughs> um I really like that phrase that you used to describe Liverpool which was chaotic energy but it it isn't just chaotic energy and that, that was just uh, um you alluded to something else earlier is that Firmino drops deep um, and kind of plays around, does his thing. Um, and I, I'll have a look at um, Jesus as a result of what you've said about him on, on that. It's interesting. But um, him dropping, is, is, that's where the centre-backs are, effectively. Whereas um, the two wingers go in between the fullbacks, don't they, in that space? So there's something really, really clever about it. And they can, you know, they can move the ball really, really quickly, but they can also play through teams as well. Um, so I suppose that's, that's what I like about Liverpool. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that I, you know, Guardiola is one of the most amazing managers, uh, um, uh, full stop, effectively. And when, when you purr, you're just amazing. Um, yeah, no, unfortunately I, I, now or at the moment. <laughs> yeah, Liverpool as well. I think, you know, when Van Dyke and the rest of the centre-backs in the team got hurt, I think everyone was like, oh, well, they can't win now. And I think the reason why they have been able to sustain and still be top of the table right now is because more often than not, just the way they play, the attack ne- never even gets to the centre-backs. Like, he's a great player. I'm not saying that, but some of the – Sometimes their counter press is the front line of the defense where it doesn't even require center backs to get involved. So if they can maintain that level of counter press and whether they can during this weird schedule where they're playing every three days and depth is a concern, that's another question. But like the way they play, it is possible for them to keep on winning games and staying top with guys like Matt Phillips and Fabinho at center back just because they might not have to do that much really. 
That's really interesting, Kevin, because the first time that I saw a, a chink in City's armour was the season that, that Leicester won. And and I saw so I, I was actually at the game when Leicester were pressing City really high up the pitch and the City seemed to implode that day. And, 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 City, and Leicester did look like the best team that had played City that season and they deserved the cup uh, as a result of that. So that kind of high press, that's really interesting. That you can say yeah, that. that's I think that's one of the worst kept like city secrets is that people assume that you can't press them because they'll just play through you and they can, but Brighton proved yesterday that if you are selective and you pick your spots correctly, they are not as good playing through the press as they have been in the past. Like I think stones and DS have proved to be a wonderful combination as center backs. I have real concerns about those guys playing through pressure same with Cancelo. He's been an amazing all season, but he showed yesterday when he is put inside into a midfield position and he's pressured from multiple angles, he will turn it over. And if I was an opponent, I would probably try to emphasize those parts of the game that Potter did yesterday. Um, but I think the concern for opponents is less so that like City can play through pressure. I think the concern is like, if we get caught upfield too much, then we'll get countered by City. And I think City in open space is still the most dangerous team in the league. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's one of those rare balances of strike. And I don't know where that balance lies, but there are teams who are capable of doing it. And I think Graham Potter did a good job yesterday of like picking a spot and applying that pressure a little bit deeper in the field rather than like in City's back line. Yeah, I mean the thing with with um, with City is that they always look so dangerous when they're on the attack, when they're in this form. And this is obviously the it's kind of been the problem for us this season is there's that very factor not looking dangerous enough in the final third. Although I thought we we looked okay last night to a certain extent. But um, Pep was full of praise for us before the game, as we were saying before you joined us, and even more so afterwards. Um, apart from. The, some of the quotes he said to do with the game, he said that um, he thinks Graham Potter might be the best English manager in the Premier League at the moment, and he thought we would be the um, we'd be the hardest opposition he'd face this month, which is quite pleasing to hear because I think you're playing Palace this month, so that's good <laughs> if that is the case. Um, but even when you are so dangerous going forward, and even if you manage to be kept back as we did for most of the game, even then, um, still at the end there's a chance for them to bang in another one. So even if it was one all somehow, you still get that one mistake um, where Dunks put a, a too loopy a ball back with his with his head. Um, a gap's in there. The Bruno gets in, wins the pen. Um, and so they, they just take their chances normally. And it was a surprise to see them miss the penalty. Although I should say... Fairly. We we had <laughs> we yeah, had this guy. Should have taken that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we had this guy who's, who's a Brighton fan who in, invented a game called Fan Slide, which is an interactive match by match fantasy league game. Basically, it's quite good worth checking out. And um, can tell you the details later. But he, on that, I've played it a few times. And the two games I've played where City have been on it, I've had the Brunner in for a penalty which he missed, and I got triple minus score for that. And guess who I had in towards the end of the game for this one, Sterling. So maybe um, that could be a tactic I can use going forward to get Brighton some results. But uh, no, I think 2-0 probably would have maybe just about flattered City. I think 1-0 is probably about the right result, from my opinion. If we'd have got a draw, I don't think I would have looked out of place either, though. Um, 
what, what do you think? Uh, Andy's wobbling his head on that one. He's not so sure. But um, <laughs> what, what, yeah, I mean, it, ultimately, City were just on top form and it was always unlikely to get anything from the game. And so it proved. Um, what's your view of us going forward, though, Kevin? Do you feel um, we're going to be OK? Do you think we've got what it takes? Bearing in mind, we've got to improve the, the striking side of things. Yeah, and I think you will. I um, When we did our Brighton podcast this week, I was doing some research on you guys, and I have honestly zero concerns. Not at risk of jinxing you, of course, but like I think you have a really good team, and the underlying metrics suggest that you are way better than what you're on the table right now. So, um, I mean, obviously, you're in 17th. It's like what we're in match day 18 or something now. So like it's has to be on your mind. I get that as fans, but like um, as someone who's a neutral, I would be betting on Brighton to finish somewhere between like 14th and 10th still, just because I think the performances have been there, but it just hasn't been the results. And it just seems like if they can figure out their finishing or whatever final third problems they're having, um, everything else is kind of in place. Um, and I think they'll be able to, because as far as the roster on paper goes, it seems like the attacking core is very talented. Like I'm a big fan of Neil Mape, um, partially because he seems to, you know, go at everybody that's available to him. So I, I think they'll be fine. I think it's just a matter of, you know, maintaining status quo, which, I know is hard for a lot of teams to do when they're in these positions because there is such a downside of getting relegated. Um, but I'm a believer Graham Potter. And I think start of the season, I said about Bray and I was like, they have a lot of center back depth and they have a really good manager. And at the end of the day, that probably is enough to keep you up, especially when you have teams like Fulham and West Brom. Well, less so Fulham now, probably West Brom is terrible. Obviously they're almost guaranteed to go down. So that's one. Sheffield just seems like, you know, the gods have their, you know, are smiting Sheffield. That seems like week in and week out. So, um, I I would still rate you guys a lot higher in the table than you are right now. Oh, it's good to hear. So everyone can relax, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's fine, guys. This is... <laughs> we, we would love yeah. to have the same confidence as you, Kevin. But it's fair yeah, to say, but... as Brighton team, as yeah. Brighton fans. We don't. I guess one of, one yeah. of the mitigating factors against that could be if psychologically we start to get worn down by the lack of points versus performance. But um, it doesn't but seem even, that way at the moment. We're still playing night, confidently. Although we played well, we didn't actually test the keeper at any point. There was one shot, I think, from the proper straight at straight at Edison. Other than yeah. that, there was, no, as well, there was, was, oh, no, that was there the only one shot on target all night from us. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for all the the positivity, you can still see the issue that's been there all season. That if we don't, you know, we don't really test the keeper for mm. all our nice build up, all our you know creativity at times. Yeah, the other point I made before on the pop was that um, we haven't actually done too badly in terms of scoring. But the problem is when we are scoring as we said on, earlier on this podcast, holding on to leads is, um, is an issue. But the only time we've gone into a two-goal lead, which eventually was 3-0, was the Newcastle away match. Um, the issue for me has is, is been about holding it down at the other ends with defending. And I do think, I mean, there were some encouraging signs there, I think, today. One point, actually, the gent, uh, Raymond, friend of the show, um, has asked us to quote a stat that he read uh, today, which is quite interesting. It says, in the league this season, apparently, our goalies, our goalies in general 
have made 34 saves now. Sanchez apparently has made 19 of them, including five yesterday, um, which I thought was quite intriguing. And bearing in mind, he's only played seven games. So um, I thought that was kind of an interesting stats to throw in there. Um, in terms of other players, people like Webster, who Andy, I know you really like, um, his stats from Albion Analytics uh, from yesterday read 195 progressive yards dribbled, um, including one dribble in the final third, nine clearances, four aerial duels won, three opposition shots blocked, and seven ball recoveries, which all sound pretty good stats. And even White, who some people don't like in midfield, Again, from Albion Analytics, he, he said there, four successful passes into the final third, 10 ball recoveries, 23 pressures, 90% pass completion rate, and six successful pressures. So those kind of stats certainly do add up. And and, and I you... think, well, sorry, I was going to say, well, I think yeah. White in midfield last night when we had no no Basuma and no Alzate yeah. was fair enough. I think it, the question people have is when, and no Lalana as well, when, when we've got Lalana and people and players like that sitting on the bench, when we're at home to someone who are down the bottom five with us or whatever, that's when we've had questions about whether White should play in midfield because it doesn't make any sense. But to me, last night it was like, yeah, that's fair enough. It's like he's, you know, he's he's obviously a he's obviously a decent player in that position. I don't think he's as good as centre half, but he's still decent. And we needed him there. We had they had limited options, so it's it doesn't. Yeah. I don't think you can criticise Potter for last night. It's when we're at home in games we need to win, and he plays White in midfield over Lalana or over well proper now he's fit maybe or Alzate. That's where people, I think, have been kind of commenting. Yeah. Um, anybody got any um, preferences for man of the match uh, for this game? For me, I think it's probably, um, I think it probably is for, uh, Foden because he's uh, obviously scored the goal and took that with a plomb. Um, he had the double, I don't know what you call it, a drag back, I guess. He sort of a side swivel drag back thing that he did, which I thought was great, and then bought himself a free kick. But as you said, Kevin, the, the, the work rate as well um, was in there. And collectively, I think that was a great performance by him, a man in form in a team that's coming back into form as well. Um, I think he was probably the, well, he was the difference, obviously, because he scored the goal. But um, I think he was the telling difference in it. Um, anybody got any alternative views to that? When, um, when, when I speak about man of the match, and I tend to speak about Albion players, yeah, uh, I think I've already said that um, McAllister should should get that. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Uh, City players, probably De Bruyne. I don't mm-hmm. know. What, what does Kevin think? I would say Foden too, probably, just because I think he, with his off-ball movement, he made a lot of the space that De Bruyne was able to take advantage of. And I think City have had struggles ch- um, finishing historically, and especially in this game, you look at De Bruyne had two big chances, Mars missed the big chance, Bernardo hit it off the post, and then obviously the penalty. Um, Foden is the one guy who is the most clinical consistently out of anybody on the team except for Aguero probably. So I think just because of the fact that like he maintained that level of finishing and he was able to put it away with his off foot, um, I mean, he didn't hit it great, but he put it in the right spot. So I think just because of that, that's the deciding goal. Um, but De Bruyne is an obvious candidate, too. He had a few passes that just seemed to defy physics um, each match, and this match was no different. So I'm not going to argue with De Bruyne or Foden. Really, it's – I'm fine with one. But I would pick one not, personally. On that point, actually, oh, we're, um, we're struggling, obviously – 
on the expected goals front. But mm. you are similarly as well, aren't you, this season? C- City are about the same kind of ratio that we are. They should have many more goals than they've actually got this season, um, much like we have. Yeah, and City 2 have a, you know, they have a history of putting all those underperformances into, like, a few matches where they'll have, like, three XG and they'll score zero goals. And um, I think the final on this one was, like, 2.7, but that includes the penalty. So it's a little bit more like 1.85 or something. Um, So, and this, again, is one of the key kind of points between Liverpool and City, again, is that Liverpool, year in, year out, they always exceed their XG. Because I, it, it must be the way they play because it's happening so often these days that there has to be something to it. In City, I think it's on the other side where they're historically not doing that. And I think it's because in the same band as before, like they're too, they overthink a lot of their chances where they want to pass the ball into the net. And while that's beautiful when it comes off, sometimes it's just like, just, just just get it on net, guys. Just shoot the ball. And, um, I mean, I think in this game, they were – they didn't, like, overthink it when they had it in the box. Like, they they took their shots. They just missed them all. And Sanchez made a few great saves. So, credit to him, especially because, like, I hadn't heard of him up until, like, a month ago. So, um, hopefully he can be, like, a long-term fit for you guys. Yeah, well, on a more modest scale, I think you've just described the Albion as well, overplaying it, overthinking it sometimes in the final third. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'll, I'll get to Peter and Alistair regarding man of the match, if you've wanted to chip in with your own thoughts on that in a minute. Um, well, actually, i do that now. Alistair, do you want to? Yeah, just very quickly. I'd probably have gone for De Bruyne, um, just for consistency. Yeah. And obviously, he, he won the penalty as well, didn't he? Um, although Sterling missed it. it was uh, yeah. yeah, it was De Bruyne who was brought down for it. So, so yeah, I, yeah. about, yeah. Very close. And Peter? Yeah, pretty much agree with what's been said. I think I'd probably just go for Foden just because the difference in the end was the goal. And, you know, I don't like giving someone a, a man the match just because they scored. But on the other hand, when it's a 1-0, hmm. it is tempting. But yeah, I mean, De Bruyne could have easily done it. And yeah, I agree with Andy what Andy said about McAllister. I think he was probably our our best player. I think Tao probably got the, will get the, the main plaudits though from our side. But because he was making his debut generally. Yeah. But yeah, I think McAllister... So hopefully it's a sign he's starting to really kind of settle and will start to really kind of, you know, make a difference in games. Because, I mean, he's, he's an Argentinian international, so he's obviously got quality. We need to see that more often. And maybe he's the one who maybe develops this part the second half of the season and actually makes a real difference in the final third. I think you could be right, yeah. I mean, final, final thing on the match itself, and in case anyone thinks we we're going to overlook this, we're not. Um, the goal itself, um, there was a bit of contention to it. At the time, I thought Tao had been fouled. Um, as it happened, it then led to the goal. Um, and subsequently, I think a minute or two later, uh, Ben White was penalised for a foul that was pretty similar standing um, up the other end of the pitch when we were trying to attack. Um, don't know what everyone else's thoughts are on this, um, whether you thought so at the time and whether you think so having looked back at it. Um, it's, it's, it's not a clear-cut one, but Andy... I- I can't believe that I'm going to say this, but I actually thought that Peter Walton was pretty much spot on on this. <laughs> um, and this I is a ref not, in, uh, in the UK TV, Kevin. It's um, an ex-ref. It, it was a foul. He, he even admitted it was a foul. 
um, but it wasn't a clear and obvious foul, and it would have needed to have been uh, um, clear. It wasn't a clear and obvious mistake, and it would have need, needed to have been for it to be overturned. Um, yeah, so I, I just find that really odd, though, because if he said it's a foul and a foul wasn't given, surely that's a clear and obvious mistake. This is what I never get yeah, about the yeah. VAR thing. I mean, he was he was saying that was a, it was a subjective decision, mm. and in the heat of the moment, he would have given it. Um, but it, it was one of those borderline ones. This is the man whose who's quote of the season I thought was VAR's not there to get it right; it's there to or something like that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, we can spend a lot of time talking about VAR. I've, I've shifted my position on VAR um, because on so many levels it's not working and it, it's become it's become the story um, and I want football to be the story. Yeah, and, uh, and I think that if you, you're always going to have to slightly kind of temper your celebrations, I suppose, to VAR, but... It, well, that was on the basis it was actually going to make a difference and improve things, and I don't think it has improved things. And on the other hand, you can't really celebrate a goal properly because, you know, a minute, about two minutes later, it could be disallowed. So I agree. I, I, I think VAR should probably go, or they need to change it massively. Well, I, I, I don't think it should go. I was um, on the Albion Raw. They had Henry Winter in, um, who is one of the most prominent football journalists in, in the UK. And I, I think he, he was just spot on. It's just just drastically reduce the number of uses for for VAR. Um, it, it's there for the really big mistakes. Uh, um, and that was in line with Walton's comment, which is, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a horrendous error um, that needed to be over. I mean, I would argue there needs to be a time limit because to me, if you're taking three yeah. minutes to, to make a decision, it's not a clear and, and obvious error. Yeah. Um, one of the things that Henry Winter mentioned was that he was there for the um, um, Thierry Henry France Island World Cup game. You know, that's if if you can use it for things like that. Um, yeah. Then, when there's a travesty of justice, you yeah. still want something to be able to go. Look, the refs missed this for whatever reason, but you've got to call it. A bit like the Burnley penalty. Um, we should have been given a penalty against the, the Amex a yeah. couple of seasons ago. And it yeah. was a double scooped handball that was so ridiculously obvious. And they went up the other end and scored, which not yeah. only meant we didn't get one result, we actually lost the other part of it, um, which yeah. is crazy. I mean, Pete is quite right about the time limit. It, it shouldn't be micromanaged. Um, uh, yeah, the, the there's got to be was time was, was pedantic schoolmasters, uh, um, you know, it's... Yes, he did. Yeah, that was great. My, <laughs> yeah. My view um, on VAR is I think they should get one view at it. If it's clear and obvious, it'll only take one view for them to actually realize it was a mistake. Mm-hmm. I I should be more used to replay because all the American sports have it heavily emphasized, but I despise it. It has just – there is a way to have it work, but this current version is awful. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure about your guys' broadcast over there, but ours, they have the – the offside, like the vertical lines will come down yeah. and they'll yeah. measure it to a millimeter. And I'm like, this is not the spirit of the rule. It's not exactly. designed to like be so scientific. Just if you can't tell he's offside with your eyes, then he's not offside. And I don't understand why that's so difficult on for yeah, like exactly. get through. Hundred yeah. percent agree. And Alistair. Yeah. Well, I'm with Andy on on that. I don't think, I mean, if I'd been in the ground, I probably would have said, oh, it's a foul. But at the same time, if they'd then brought that back, it, it just, 
makes a, a farce of, of the live game. So, uh, and, and as Kevin was saying, that kind of, the, the really sort of f- fine margins that they're measuring. I don't think the frame refresh rate is actually quick enough to measure that distance for when a, a ball is being kicked by someone's foot. So, you know, how can you possibly measure it to that kind of level of accuracy? So, yeah, again, then there's a margin of error um, in the in the broadcast fresh, uh, you know, in the refresh rate of the cameras even. So, so of course, it's all related to the rules as well, doesn't it? It's, it's about how yeah. you define the rules. I mean, you've got to have a way of saying how much is too much offside and whatever method you use for that, there's going to be a, an yeah. air of contention, isn't there? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but ultimately, I think I felt a little bit uneasy when I saw the highlights last night, but at the same time, it was still a goal. And and, and, that, mm. and that is one of those free kicks that goes either way. We had a similar one at, at Liverpool um, last season when we were there at Anfield and the goal, uh, it, we got, we got fouled and then we fouled someone else and then they scored from the free kick. So, so, and they got their free kick, but we didn't get ours. And that's, and that's the difference. It's the, it's that equity between VAR and the top six teams and guys like us. I suppose that's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that pretty much rounds up uh, this episode. And if you want to stay on the line just after we finish recording, so have a brief chat before we carry on. Um, But in terms of this episode, um, thanks to everyone for joining us. So it's been Kevin, Peter, Andy Knott and Alistair. Thanks to all of you. Um, We are sponsored by Seagulls Over London. If you want information about joining or other details, it's www.seagullsoverlondon.com. If you want to contact this podcast, it's at Brighton Rock Pod on Twitter, or you can email Brighton Rock Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again to, to the four of you for joining me. And until next time, when we are hopefully going to be Leeds at the weekend, we'll be back with a match review of that game coming up in due course. But until then, Peter, uh, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.